assurance of pardon this morning is from Romans 3. Hear the good news, church. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the season of Advent we enter today. May we truly spend time during this season reflecting on your arrival as a newborn baby over 2,000 years ago to ultimately pay our sin debt. With awe and wonder, we marvel at your amazing love for us, from the manger to the cross and the resurrection. Please be with us now as we continue our worship and praise for all that you have done and are doing in our lives. May you be glorified. Amen. All right, if you would turn your attention to the back of the Thank you, thank you, brother. You got it, Jonathan. Uh, well, this morning we get the great joy of seeing a new sister in Christ baptized, and it's fitting that it's Christmas, it's a season of joy, and this is Magdalene Joy Lingerfeld. Joy is literally her middle name, so also known as Maggie. This is just a wonderful testimony to God's goodness and His grace in the life of sweet Maggie. So we are just rejoicing in this. And upon her profession of faith, what she says is that Jesus Christ is the Lord of her life. She loves the Lord Jesus, and she wants to live for him. That's what, what we're doing with baptism. So as we've talked about, we talked about this in the back, that a, the baptism, a picture of baptism, a number of things are happening here. One is because she is in union with Jesus Christ, this is a picture of her being, when she goes underneath the water, it's a picture of her dying to old, her old self. So the old Maggie now is dead. She is now a new creation in Jesus Christ. Also, it's a picture of her dying with Christ. And so Jesus has now died in her place on the cross. So there's no more condemnation, no more judgment hanging over her head. Also, when she comes up out of the water, what we'll see is a picture of her being united with Christ in his resurrection. One day, Jesus is going to return and his people are going to be raised from the dead and we're going to be given resurrected bodies, and Maggie is going to be a part of that resurrection great day. So this is just a joyful testimony, again, to God's goodness, his grace, his love for his people. And, and as I told her, too, uh, another great thing about this is she is now a sister in Christ. So we have the same father. We're part of the same family. We are a family here at WCC. So it's just, again, a wonderful testimony to God's goodness. And I meant to tell the family, if y'all want to take video or picture, y'all feel free. All right? You, are you videoing now? All right. Here we go. All right. You ready? I guess. You ready? You're, you guess. <laughs> yes or no? <laughs> yes? All right. Well, let us do it. You should be warm. You should be good. We didn't make it an ice bath for you. All right, Josh is going to help me put her under here. So, all right, Maggie, I got a question to ask you. Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Yes. Amen. Upon your profession of faith, I now baptize you, my sister. You're my sister now, okay? I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right, hold your nose. Buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Got it? All right, stand there and let me pray for you, okay? Face this way. Dad, you can dry her off. 
all I'm praying for. All right, let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for your love for us. I pray that as we saw Maggie get baptized, we think about our own baptism. We would really, even now, just recommit our life to, to following you and living for you. Thank you what, for what you've done in Maggie's life, for giving her spiritual life. Thank you that she is now a part of the kingdom of God. She is your child, Father. She is your daughter. Continue to guide her, give her grace, allow her to grow into a young woman who just wants to follow Jesus all her days. So, God, thank you for your love for us. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for us and being raised from the dead, showing that we too have hope that when you return, we're going to be raised with you, that you love us and care about us. So we praise you for that. God, bless Maggie. Thank you for her testimony today. And I pray if there's anybody here who needs to get baptized, who has, have not been baptized, who have not publicly said that, Jesus, that you're their, their Lord, that they would do that, that they would follow Maggie's example. So we praise you and love you, Lord. Thank you again for Maggie, Lord. Bless her life. Take care of her. Continue drawing her near to you and allow her to grow in her love and her faith in you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's continue to worship.
Thanksgiving week, we, we stop to give you thanks for many of the benefits that are ours through your sovereign grace, through your inexhaustible mercy, and your boundless generosity. We are so grateful for the forgiveness of all of our sins, not just the sins up to the beginning of our life in Christ, not just the sins we acknowledge and confess. Not just the sins that we grieve, not just the 4% of our sins we are actually aware of. Father, you have forgiven all of our sins, past, present, and future, through the work of Jesus. We are grateful for such an abundant blood. We are so thankful for the healing of all our diseases. Father, though it will take the second coming of Jesus to complete, you have secured our complete healing, mind, body, and spirit. The gospel is that big, good, and comprehensive. One day we will rejoice and serve in the new heaven and the new earth, loving you with all of our glorified heart, soul, mind, and strength. Thank you, our good, good Father. We are so thankful that you redeemed us, Father, through the gospel. You have rescued us from a fallen and broken world. We are so thankful for the satisfaction of our desires with good things. You are the source of all true delights. Father, you gave us our deep longings and you hardwire us for wonder. You created our taste buds. You gave us the capacity to hear gave us our sense of smell, our passion to see. You designed us to come alive to the good, true, and the beautiful. And by your grace, you intend to satisfy every aspect of our being with yourself and with abundance of your good gifts in this life and the life to come. We shout with gratitude and joy in this Thanksgiving week, and we praise your name today. Father, you have promised us through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that whatever we ask in his name, you will grant to us. So we pray for those here today facing sickness and adversity in their life. Allow them to see your gracious hand in their lives for their good and your glory. We have an anchor for our souls in him who has gone before us. We especially lift up today Gary and Sally. Father, please continue to heal them of their illnesses. Father, we pray that you would strengthen Gary's heart. Please encourage them during this time and grow them closer to you. Father, we again pray for others in our church body that may be dealing with illness or physical and emotional difficulties. You are the great physician, so we pray that you work in their lives. We also celebrate with those in our body that you may have given an abundance of grace and mercy this week. Your word tells us to rejoice with those that rejoice and to weep with those that weep. So please keep us mindful of that. We pray for those who do not yet understand the gospel. Open their eyes today that they may recognize you as their God and creator. Call them to yourself, Lord. We pray for traveling mercies for Chris this week. Yeah. Father, just let him just feel your presence as he's away. We want to always remember to pray for our missionaries. So we lift up to you today, Ryan and Emily Curry, our missionaries to Liberia. We pray for you to do great things through them as they take the gospel to the people of Liberia. Please help Ryan to fight against the prosperity gospel that is so prevalent in the Liberian churches. One of the greatest needs, Ryan said, for the Liberian pastors are for them to be men who study, live by, and teach God's word. So, Father, we pray for that. And we want to be a church that prays for other churches. So we lift up to you, Walker Baptist Church here in Monroe and their pastor, Dr. Jeff Box. Father, continue to bless this church as they endeavor to honor God with genuine biblical worship. We are thankful for your saving grace given to man and that we were able to witness this morning her obedience to you in baptism. And through this ordinance of the church, we are able to see scripture as we worship you this morning. Father, grow Maggie to be more like Jesus. Give Josh and Lauren your wisdom to raise their girls to love you more. We are so thankful for this family. We're thankful for their extended family here today. Father, bless them. Lord, drive from our hearts this morning all things which displease you. Help us to understand that we live and move and have our being in you and that our sins are so before you, that your grace could not have been given to us except through the death of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us grasp that truth that you loved us so much that you gave your only begotten Son, so that when we believe in him, we shall not perish but have everlasting life. And now, fathers, we continue to worship in song and in hearing your word preached. May it be pleasing.
Christ. Father, thank you for Chris, the praise team, and the orchestra, and for the gifts that you have given them. Christ, may you be abundantly glorified at this place and at this time today. Please be with Pastor George as he brings us your word this morning. We ask that you would open our ears and open the eyes of our heart so that we may behold the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask all these things in the name of your Son, who taught us to pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. I've got that on. We had to do a we had to do a fast handoff there because of the wonderful baptism that we had today. And, and I'm going to be preaching on joy today. And uh, it was exciting to be reminded of Maggie's middle name. That is Joy. I, I knew that, but I had forgotten it. And uh, how appropriate that God would move uh, in the heart of of. Uh, of our brothers to uh, think about and to focus on the uh, topics of Advent, which was a decision made many, many weeks ago. And uh, we moved dates around. Joy was supposed to be, the Sermon on Joy was supposed to be three weeks from now, but now it's today, right when all the, the alignment came for, to see the grace of God in Maggie's life and then her obedience uh, to Christ in baptism. That, that is, uh, this makes me smile. Just to know how the little simple things, how God works in our lives. We don't even know things are aligning the way he is intended. They just do. And uh, we're grateful for him. Please turn in your Bibles to Psalms chapter 16. We're going to be reading 85 verses. No, normally I have these long scriptural texts that I read, but I'm not going to do that today. I have, I wish I could say I've totally reformed from doing that, but I am going to say... (laughs) that uh, we're going to look at 11 verses today, and um, an amazing 11 verses. Uh, Many of you that have read through your Bibles have read Psalm 16. It's one of my favorite psalms, um, and it is is a prescription for us as believers and for the world to understand that thing which is most craved for, that thing which is most sought after, which is living in a state of happiness, right? Right? How many terrible decisions have been made all in the name of, I am not happy. I am not happy, so therefore I am doing this. And then a really bad decision is made, right? So this idea of being happy is something that people crave and they pursue. I think it's natural and it's normal. We were created, think about this, and we recently in Sunday school had some teaching on uh, you know, the, the Garden of Eden and, and the fall. And we could see that in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had this blessing of communing with God in the cool of the evening every day. 
And what a, what a state of joy and happiness that must have been to be in the very presence of God and to commune with him in a very personal, personal way. He created us intellectually and spiritually to enjoy that relationship with him. He designed us. It, it's, what, it's what makes the, the, the idea that God is not creator, it's what makes it such an insidious, evil thing to embrace. Because once you eliminate God from the path, or you eliminate God as the core of your whole life, reason for existence, and, and, and the way you interpret the world, once you take God out of the way, you're only left with yourself. You're left with the devil's lie, right? You will be a God. You will be a God. And so uh, we have been blessed by, uh, you know, by Pastors Jeff, uh, by his series on uh, really kind of comparing biblical Christianity to the religion of the world. Uh, and that is that their own ideas, their own thoughts, all these things have been elevated to almost near divine status that everyone must bend their will to. Well, let's look at what the scripture has to say. What saith the Lord as it relates to this, this idea of living in a state of felicity, this idea of being happy, of being joyful. Where can I find this? Where is the reliable source of happiness that will never fail me, that will never leave me, that if I am sad or if I am discouraged, I can go back to this and always find that it is there? Let's read verse number 1 of chapter 16. David the psalmist reaches out, and he says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they're the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. And also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, because of, right? Because of the things we've just read. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We don't know what heaven's going to be like, but we've given little glimpses, aren't we? Pleasures forevermore. That will never end because we will be in the presence of our great God and King who is the source 
of our joy. He is the reason that we get up in the morning and in spite of all the things of life, of living in a sinful world, the aches and pains, living in a sinful body, in our core, we can pursue our God and find in him joy in our whole being. So the, the title of the message today is Fullness of Joy, but i got to tell you, I kind of struggle with the sermon title. It's, sometimes it's just hard. I'd like to just say the title of the sermon is My Joy is Found in the Lord, but then the points don't add up. You know, you got kind of all the struggles. But fullness of joy is experienced, first point, is experienced exclusively by God's elect through faith. You might say, now wait a minute, George. I know lost people, and, and they're happy. Yes. I, I think that that's true. I do, too. I had periods of happiness and states of happiness before I became a Christian. I'm not really referring to that. I'm talking about a joy that is sustainable, that can be sustained and, and carry us through great difficulty in life. It is a joy that never fades. It's not in a person and that person might change their mind about us. It's not in a job. They might change their mind about us. It's not in resources or finances or big houses or uh, beautiful cars or all these things in, in life that people pursue to get that kind of momentary rush or that periodic sense of, of happiness. These things can all go away, right? But we know one thing about God. God does not change. And God is eternal. And God has an everlasting love for his elect, for his people. Notice some of these things that the psalmist says. He says, preserve me, O God. Who else can preserve us in this life? Will money save us? Will the joy of human friendships sustain us for an entire life? What happens when the friendships are separated? There's always interruptions to earthly mechanisms for happiness is there not my father-in-law who had a wonderful outlook on life uh, he was genuinely a happy positive person and someone might say you know well, well what, what what's what why does it this person you know what's wrong between you and this person he said well they liked me until they didn't and he never really got bogged down in stuff like that he didn't let the the effects these temporal effects of the world just like just pin him down. He had a good outlook on life. He was a Christian. I asked him about his faith in Christ, and he gave me a very clear and warm testimony of his faith in Jesus Christ. I believe he had an attitude like that because he, had, he knew that his God did not change. He knew that his home was in heaven. He knew that the relationship he had with his fellow believers was secure for eternity. And we've talked about that a lot at our church, haven't we? The relationships we develop among believers are eternal. They don't change. That's why we don't get mad and just leave a church or just abandon a relationship with a Christian. Why? You're going to have to face that believer in heaven, right? These are eternal relationships when they're in Christ. So one of the things that can give us great joy is to pursue ardently a closer understanding and a closer relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's to get into the word every day and read it. Get off the news. The news won't make you happy. 
Remember the, our experience with, with uh, the recent election? Oh, your candidate's up. Oh, now your candidate's down. Oh, your candidate's up. Now your candidate's down. Is that not a perfect illustration of happiness that's wound up in the world? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. But there's certainty in pursuing and understanding who is God. Who is he? Why did he make me? And what is my purpose here? You're going to have joy from that. David says, preserve me, O God, because he's the only one that can preserve us. He says, you are my Lord, because he's the only one worthy to be our Lord. Is there another? Is there any other person or thing that we should swear allegiance to? I don't believe so. David even goes on to say, I have no good apart from you. Some people follow the devil's lie down the path of they're their own God, right? You'll be like a God, knowing good and evil. You've heard this before. I may have even said it myself before I became a Christian. I'm a good person. Are you really? I'm a born-again believer, and I know there's a lot of times I'm not a very good person because of the choices that I make. Our goodness comes from the Lord. That's what he's saying. He's saying, the good things that I do are because I know my God and my Lord. It's because of him. That's why these good things that emanate from me that I, I take pleasure in or that I have a sense of satisfaction in, it is tied to our Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that extends to the saints. That's why it's always disturbing when you find someone who's a believer who has a dislike or states publicly a dislike for Christians. It's a very odd position to take, don't you think? I love my Lord. Oh, and all the people he loves, I don't like them very much. Doesn't really connect, does it? Doesn't really sync up. It also is interesting as to where we actually put our most of our our best time, our best creative thoughts, our best abilities. Do we put that in our relationships, in our church, or with our brothers and sisters in Christ that live around us or that are related to us? Where are we giving all of our energy? Where are we giving our best? And are we thinking those relationships or those things are going to truly make us happy? We've had countless people come to our church and say, well, you know, this church is really different. We, don't, we can't really put our finger on it, but we just, it's different. Well, I really think we work on loving each other. And you think, oh, you're probably all the same. It's probably easy to love each other. No. It's not even easy to love everyone in your own house sometime, is it? We don't always get along. So conf, conf, add a complication that now it's not just the people in your own house. It's people in multiple households. How in the world can we love one another at WCC? Well, we love one another because Jesus loves us. And he's given us the Holy Spirit. He's made us new. And our desire is to help other people know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then in their life begin to put on Christ and to put off the old man. Our desire is to meet people where they are. And we do that at every level of the church. We just understand, you know what? We're not perfected yet. And I love this person more than I love their mistakes or more than I love their, their flaws. I hope that's true with me. I probably have a lot of flaws. At least that's what my family tells me. 
And it don't always, it's always hard to accept your own flaws, right? It's a lot easier to accept the flaws than others. Yeah, they got a lot of problems over there. But it's hard for us to see our own flaws. But that's why God gives us family. That's why he gives us people that love us so they can freely tell us that we have flaws. And so don't see that as a negative. See that as a positive thing. It's God at work in your life, helping you see yourself as others see you. Well, what's another reason we might have fullness of joy? Or what is another way that we might realize fullness of joy? Well, I want us to contrast that momentarily with the effects of sin in verse 4. You ever ask somebody, well, well, why aren't you, are are you happy? That's kind of a hard thing to answer, isn't it? Happiness is kind of a felicity, kind of a state of being. So it's kind of hard to answer that question. I generally say I tend to be more of an optimistic person. And then when I got in and when I drift off into ideology, I tend to get more negative. So my life staying out of ideological discussions makes me a happier person. Unfortunately, Theology is, in many people's minds, ideology. So in some respects, you have to pursue it, but you just have to make sure that you walk in the spirit as you have those conversations so that you don't get argumentative with people, right? But I want us to contrast that to what the world is doing. What is the world really doing? Are they, based on what Pastor Jeff was sharing with us, we know they are not in agreement with Orthodox Christianity, with biblical Christianity what that word orthodox means straight views about god so they don't have straight views about god they have crooked views about god and as a matter of fact we see in verse four it says the sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply it's the complete opposite of happiness is it not not just that they're sorrowful, but they're pursuing with all their heart. That's what it means when it says run after. Think about it like you're running into battle and you're, you're all in, man. You're like totally committed. They are totally committed to run away from Christ and towards the sins and the works of the flesh. Which, if you read in the Bible about what is idolatry, idolatry is always listed as an accumulated works of the flesh. This is why idolatry is so appealing to fallen human beings. It's because we're hardwired in a sin nature to crave those things. So we run after those things. That's why for, for, for centuries, for thousands of years, we see that paganism is the main religion of the world. And as people stand and claim, well, United States is a Christian nation. It's kind of false on its very statement. Uh, nations can't be, can't be converted. People are converted. So you could have a predominance of people that are, are influenced by Christian uh, worldview, and so that influences policy, right, in a nation. But nations can't be converted or lost. What you're looking at is a preponderance of what is the worldview of that nation. And I think more and more we see paganism is becoming more and more accepted as a worldview, not only in the United States, but the the entire Western world. And we're joining the the Eastern world, which, which left its forms of Christianity many years ago for paganism. What are we seeing? 
We're seeing a world that's just becoming progressively sadder. Progressively more angry and frustrated. Yet where are they going? They're rushing after other gods. And since God is the one who made us, we're rushing those that pursue that path in life. And that may be you here today. I don't say that in mean-spirited. But it just may be that you don't believe in Christianity. You don't identify with it. You don't see that as an answer for your life. I pray that God would change that desire in you. I pray that God would give you a spirit of repentance so that you could see your sin and you could see its destructive effects on your life or that you might cling to Christ. But if we run, if one runs after another God, the God of the universe who created you says, you are multiplying your sorrows. It's not an opinion. It is a state of being. It is the way it is. Because contrary to what the devil said, Eve did not become a god after she defied God. She actually died. She began dying that day and eventually was buried in the ground. Sin brought forth death to her. Interesting enough, Christianity is not really viewed that way, is it? Well, it's nothing new. 1 Kings chapter 18, we see a conversation between King Ahab, one of the most famous kings for being an evil idolater in the Old Testament. Right? We all know Ahab. You either think of him like it's a really boring book they made me read uh, called Moby Dick when I was in high school or college, or your brain goes to Ahab, the, old, the king in the Old Testament, who was a pagan. Well, God sends God's man, Elijah, to confront him. And when he sees, when Ahab sees Elijah, the very mouthpiece of God, he says to him, and I quote, It is you, you troubler of Israel. They were going through a terrible drought as a result result of their idolatry and wickedness. Because God can withhold the rain and he can make it rain. He's in control of everything. We are not. He is because he is God. He's creator. But isn't it interesting how the lost world perceives faith in God? We are the troublers. God is the one bringing trouble, not their own sin. But it is God himself who is the problem. That's why we need salvation from our God in order to be saved. Because in our natural fallen state, we have a fist raised to God. And were it not for God's mercy and grace upon us, we would all think and feel that way. Every one of us in this room. When you think about fullness of joy, I want you to contrast what the Bible has to say about the loss and about their pursuits. It always puts them in a negative light. Ultimately, what is the ultimate end of one who rejects Christ? It is suffering the wrath of God in hell, a place of eternal torment. And yet the devil and the world pursue after it with a banner saying, this is the best, this is the way to go, this is the most enlightened path. It's really not the most enlightened path. It's the most self-destructive path. It's a path of unhappiness. It's a, path, it's a pathway to gloom and discouragement. 
It's a pathway to terror. What will happen when I die? It's a very salient question. So what does the psalmist say about this group of people? He says, their religious rights, I'm not going to carry these out. Not going to pour out their blood offerings. I'm not even going to take their names to my lips. They have such animosity towards God and toward God's people. I'm not going to make them the focus part of my life. They're not going to occupy the majority of my time. As a matter of fact, I'm not even going to take their names on my lips. Too much obsession with the evil and darkness in this life doesn't help us. Focus on what you have in Christ. Be thankful for what you have in Christ. Don't look at your house and say, well, it's not big enough, or your car it's not new enough, or your husband and say he's not handsome enough. Look at what you have in Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is our great treasure. He's our treasure. There's nothing greater. He never changes. He never goes away. And our closeness to him will only become more, become more profound in our eternal state. Is there any reason why the Bible depicts faith in Christ or faith in our God as a generator of joy? The fullness of joy comes from treasuring God and putting a trust in all his works. I always find it interesting that people consider being a skeptic as intellectual. I always find their intellectual arguments very stupid. Seriously. As a sinner, as an evil person, they call God into judgment on his morality. In their brokenness, they call God into judgment on how he created the worlds. It's insanity. It, it is a pathetic attempt by a broken, fallen, created being to shake their fist in front of God and say, I hold you in judgment. It's the complete opposite. But isn't that the lie of the devil? That we as fallen human beings will be calling God into judgment. No, friend, it's the opposite. That's why the works of God are so wonderful. The treasure of Jesus Christ is so sweet. That as sinners, he would save us without us earning it. He would save us because of his own choice, his own free choice, his own desire. And he calls us to himself. And he gives us the word. And he gives us beautiful friends in Christ to love and cherish and to serve alongside of. Listen to what David says. He says, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. He values the counsel of the Lord in the night. Have you ever been wrestling with a problem and you wake up in the middle of the night and you go, uh, Eureka. David attributes that to God. He says, it's God who counsels me in the night. The ideas I have that I think are so clever and are so problem-solving, they also are gifts from my God. I have set the Lord before me. 
Don't set all the chaos of this life before you. Don't, don't set the sense that you're missing out on something before you. Set the Lord before you. That is the greatest thing to achieve in all of the world is to have Christ, to have your sins forgiven, to have a home in heaven. We were praying for our brother who is ministering in Liberia, who is teaching Liberian pastors to go out into their villages, into their cities, and preach the gospel. One of the most heinous things that's undermining that is the prosperity gospel. God wants you rich. God wants you healthy. God wants you wise. It's a devilish doctrine. And it will completely strip away the joy and happiness out of your life. Jesus is the treasure. Our sins forgiven is the great wealth that we have as an individual. Our home in heaven is the greatest promise, the greatest mansion, the greatest uh, status of living we will ever experience. And friendships that will never fade, they will only strengthen. God is so good to us. He truly has given us a beautiful inheritance. And he follows that up with, I shall not be shaken. Ridley and, and Latimer, when the English Puritans, when they were being burned at the stake, God gave them the grace to say that they were lighting a fire that would never be put out. And that's not an exact quote, but that's emblematic of what God does in us. Even in the midst of what we would consider a catastrophe, God gives us courage. We remain unshaken before him. That's the power of the gospel. And the fullness of joy is also a result of God's grace and faith in his word. We need his word. I encourage you, if you're taking notes, to write down John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, especially 9 through 11. As it talks about in the New Testament, about abiding in Christ. Abide in Christ. Keep his commandments. If you abide in Christ and love one another and keep his commandments, you will have joy. As a matter of fact, we see this same statement, fullness of joy. And the psalmist says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This word joy that we see in Psalm 16 comes from a Hebrew word, simcha. It means happy, glad, joy. It's attributed to participating in an ongoing celebration. And it implies an action towards a state of being. Let me ask you a very, very direct question this morning. What are you actively pursuing as your state of being? What are you actively pursuing as your state of being? And is it consistent with what God says will be the result? Because folks, if we are pursuing, if we're pursuing sin and we're pursuing other things other than Christ, we're going to multiply our sorrows. We're not going to have a joy and a happiness that God has created us to have.
He made us to fellowship with him. And in that fellowship, experience what the psalmist is describing is a rejoicing in our whole being. And that is what heaven is going to be like. We always try to think, well, it's going to mean I've got a Coca-Cola machine right outside my door. Or I'm going to have that great car. I'm going to have that wonderful, uh, that wonderful snack I always love. There's a, for me, it'll be a never-ending supply of cheese popcorn. No, it, it doesn't mean that. We can't, we can't even understand what it, what it is actually going to be like because we're only experiencing a taste of it. You know how when we're singing and the orchestra's playing and God has removed the distractions from your mind and you're singing with all your heart? You know that emotion you feel? That is just a fraction of the tip of what it's going to be like to rejoice in our entire being. And I got to tell you, that's one of the, one of the great emotions of being in church is hearing God's people praise him and being a part of that. What a day that's going to be. I want to invite you, if you're here today and you say, you know, Pastor George, I, I have, I'm just really not that happy in my life right now. I want to remind you that it is not the Lord that wants you to be unhappy. It is your enemy, the devil, that wants you to be unhappy. God has made you. He created you and your, all your elements. When you focus on him and you put your faith in him and you stop striving for the things of the world, but you strive after him and you're in his word, and you're praising and praying and communing with, with God and with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Guess how God made you? He made you to feel overwhelming joy because of that experience. That's how he made you. Don't let the elements of this life, don't let situations discourage you. So well, you, you just don't know what's going on in my life. I know that the Bible states that the human experience is one of suffering and difficulty. But it's why God has given us himself. So that we could have a way. As the prophet says, that he is, he is not going to be shaken. He is going to remain firm. God wants you and will give you a sense of stable standing in a, in a, in an experience of joy in your life. That you and I have to focus on the right things. And if we don't, then we're not obeying him. We're not obeying our creator's path to feeling that sense of joy. We're listening to other voices. Don't do that. Get back on the right track. You say, I don't even know how to do that. Start tonight by turning off the TV and the phone and getting your Bible. And start in the book of John. And begin, begin reading in chapter 1, verse 1. Start in Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1. And begin reading a chapter here, a chapter there, and just work your way through. You read through God's word in the morning and in the evening. And each time when you're done, you commit yourself to pray. And you thank the Lord for those things that you've seen in his word. You do that every day without fail. I believe God through the Holy Spirit, is going to begin doing a work in you that is going to change your state of being. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Lord, we love you. And we love you because you first loved us. 
the idea that as a sinner, my sins are completely forgiven, past, present, future. That I will be living in a state where my entire being is able to rejoice every minute of every day forevermore is a great happiness. Lord, help me not to be discouraged by the things of this life. Help me not to be distracted. Lord, protect me from running after other gods. May you be the true treasure of my life. And Lord, I pray that you would help me not to be weary in well-doing, but you would help me to have great energy and great excitement about seeing what you will do next. Thank you for this church. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ that I love and that I know love me. You have truly multiplied and expanded my family beyond my imagination. Lord, bless us as we continue to worship. We pray that our thoughts would be stayed on you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to move now to a different section of our service. That is the Lord's table. You may be new here today, but our uh, WCC uh, worships through the Lord's table weekly. We do this every week. We don't do it quarterly or monthly. We do it every service. We believe that this is a means by which God helps us to focus on the joy of our salvation. And in a way we don't quite, quite tangibly understand, we receive grace in our souls by going through this process and by partaking of this meal together. So uh, the qualification or the requirements for partaking of the Lord's Supper is that you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we encourage you to partake. If uh, in your life you have things that are going on in your life that are just sins that are overwhelming, we encourage you to repent of those sins and to come and partake. Because that's the one thing about being a Christian. Don't ever forget that when you sin, we have forgiveness with the Father that he will forgive us and he will renew the joy of our salvation. So don't let sin uh, keep you from the table, but also don't come to the table with an insincerity about an unwillingness or stubbornness to not repent of sin. That is not a good thing. So let's read what the scripture has to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. Then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Lord, we thank you for your goodness in offering up yourself for us and giving us repentance and faith that we might be saved. Blessed be your name. Lord, may we be reminded and blessed during this meal. And Lord, encourage your saints together. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The body and blood of Christ.
blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And all God's